Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 32. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's media and pop culture blind spots and sharing the must-see movies and guilty pleasures from our past. Mm. That means we take turns. Each time one of us chooses a movie or a television show that the other person has never seen before, never and then seen. we confront them with it. No, we act, we watch it. We we watch it together. <laughs> Why haven't you seen this? <laughs> we watch it together. What is wrong exactly. with you? <laughs> well, isn't that the whole premise of the <laughs> yes, show? Yes, I guess so. How have you made it to this point in your life without having seen uh, well. the jerk? <laughs> <laughs> Said the jerk. Yes. Um, so this week it was my turn to choose the movie. Yes, it was your turn. And I chose... The cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. I think I got that right. <laughs> you did. I'm impressed. From 1989. 1989 film by director Peter Greenaway. Um, yeah. Shall, Where do you want to shall, go with this? I don't know how to synopsize this film. Well, uh, you could start with... We could just say who the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover are, and that kind of gives you so the whole thing. That's true. The cook is a French chef who owns a restaurant in London, I think. We don't Doesn't know. really matter. Doesn't, it's, a, it's a restaurant somewhere. Um, the thief is sort of a... I don't know, mafia figure? Um, kind of this... He's a British... British gangster type. Gangster, blowhard kind of yeah. guy. Um, Played by Michael Gambon. Um, who is alternately like offended by everything and simultaneously the most offensive person that you have ever met. He kind of reminds me of our president. <laughs> we can get to that. Yes. Um, his wife, Georgina, his wife, is played by Helen Ruth Mirren. a well-bred woman who... Um, is just trying to get by with this this asshole that she's married to. And then her lover is the guy that she ends up falling in love with. A, a bookseller. Yes. <laughs> who sits by himself at the restaurant every night reading books. Yes. And what we have here is a very loud, transgressive, stylized, mm. shocking revenge... Play, yeah, yeah, sort of thing. It, it's uh, it's about cannibalism. Well, it's not about it's not about cannibalism, but that's in, that's in, where in, we go. In, you know, no, no more about cannibalism than like Titus Andronicus is about cannibal. Well, yeah. that's actually a little more. So about you're cannibalism. pulling. Yeah, I haven't actually read Titus Andronicus, <laughs> and I so there's 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 more cannibalism you're being in, in more Titus erudite Andronicus. than I am. Yes. So. <laughs> Well, I just read about uh, revenge plays. So, on... do we want to go with why I chose the movie? Yeah, first? let's let's talk about why you chose this movie. Yeah, let's talk about this. Okay. Okay. Um, I have always found this movie to be fascinating. I saw it for the first time. I didn't see it when it was released. I saw it a couple of years later um, when I was in film school for the first time at UCSD. And one of my favorite classes that I've ever taken was a weekly movie screening series taught by um, J.P. Gorin, who, um, yeah, of the French New Wave. We worked with Godard, and he was, you know, everybody's favorite film professor and everything. But he basically would chose a movie, a, an out-of-the-ordinary out mm. film, to kind of put it on the table for you and go, let's, let's react to this. Let, yeah. I'm going to show you some stuff. Okay, and then and then we would he we he, he would just riff on it. Yeah, we would talk in in a lecture auditorium for about you know the, the other hour. It was a yeah. three hour class. We'd see the film and then, um, well, that's cool. So um, I had never seen anything like it. Mm. Never seen anything like it. I'd never seen anything quite that boundary pushing for me. Yeah, I'd never seen any. I I hadn't seen anything play with stylistically with that sort of the the game, the tricks and games and the formalized style that Greenaway does. And we'll talk about that probably as we get into it, but it's about color and it's about movement. It's about the way it's shot. It's, it's, it's the music. It's, it's all of that. And I'd like to talk about that, but that was something that particularly as somebody trying to learn to be a film director, there. I don't know if it's a period of like when you really get into film, like sometimes you're drawn to the filmmakers who wear their style like completely out there, yeah. like a David Lin- like David Lynch was mm. another early favorite. But Peter Greenaway, I really was just so intrigued by this 
strange, shocking in subject matter, but I was really fascinated, like trying to decode and think about what he's doing and how he's doing it. Um, Because you've never seen a film shot like this, I don't think. Yeah. Um, So I asked you at some point, had you ever seen any movies by Greenaway? Nope. This is the the best in my mind. Mm. This is like, this is the Greenaway movie to see. Yeah. And I just wanted to, as somebody who knows as much film as you do and has a, um, an interest in art and architecture mm. and photography and cinema food. and movie <laughs> and food, I really wanted to like throw this at you as yeah. like, I want you to see what he's doing here this film but at the same time i've been reticent and kind of yeah. like nervous to show it to you in a way it's taken me about a year to work yeah. up to you know and actually the movie is i think it's out of print yeah. you may be able to get it on re- uh, standard dvd in the states but i had to order a copy from the uk on yeah. blu-ray um and it's watch it not on our all region DVD yeah player. <laughs> we watched it on our all region dvd player it is available streaming so if you feel intrigued or if you want to see it again or if you've seen it and you're like hell no i'm not even gonna listen to this episode um it it does have all sorts of triggers in it you know yeah um so i wanted to show this to you as something that was part of my you know early years in in filmmaking and all that kind of stuff that a director that was fascinating and intriguing and i didn't go on to follow his career that much um, I saw the next few films, and I went mm. back and saw earlier films. But, um, yeah, I was just always fascinated by this movie. Well, and I liked to talk about it. I liked to, like, yeah. show I remember showing it to my roommates. Yeah. And, like, it, it was like nobody, none of us had ever seen anything quite like that. And, you know, we're all 18, 19 years yeah. old, so our experience with film, even as a film yeah. student, or, you know, you're you're still trying to see a little bit of everything. I don't know. So... I'm gonna sit back and, okay. and, and let you. Uh, so I think I'm gonna go su- with this I'm gonna bit. surprise you here, which is I've I fucking loved that movie. Oh, <laughs> I thought it was amazing, and okay. I, I I mean like, and I think you'd be surprised because of my reaction to Naked. Um, That's why I yeah. was worried. Yeah, because <laughs> I wasn't expecting the reaction to Naked, and that might have been more. Yeah. The amount of time that had passed since I had seen it yeah. that I hadn't seen it through your eyes, it, yeah. mentally, you know, to yeah. prepare for it. Go on. So um, I I didn't see this movie when it came out because you don't show this kind of movie to seven year olds. Um. <laughs> and I think you have to wait several I, years before yeah. you show it to the person you're married to. Yeah, it's <laughs> I I do remember the um, I do remember the title. It's a striking title. Yeah. Um. So it's stuck in my brain. I remember what section it was in at Video Giant or Video mm-hmm. Gigante as we called it, which was the video store in. <laughs> I like how you gave it your own, <laughs> your own name. Uh, it, well, it's just Spanish for giant. Um, so I, I really, I love, so, I mean, I guess to give a little thing of why I like it so much. So one of my favorite stories and one of the first short stories I ever read, the, and my dad read it to me, was Mask of the, no, yeah, Mask of the Red Death by uh, okay, Edgar Allan Poe. Okay, and it's Allen been Poe. a long time since I've read that. So, um, you know, it is, a, it's, it's not really, it's kind of a revenge drama, but really it's a, it's a, it's a fable about trying to lock out death when you can't mm-hmm. lock out death, but it has this great visual thing of, they have this beautiful palace decorated with these themed colored rooms, and there's a, there's a violet room and a blue room and a green room and then a black room with red windows and that's where the death comes from so i love that sort of color symbolism and so i loved it from the very beginning like the outside scene which is kind of a shocking introduction to this guy you learn right away what a jerk this guy is and you learn right away what kind so you have an opportunity there to bail because the first scene is very shocking And it kind of lets you know what sort of movie you're in for. Essentially, he strips down a guy and rubs feces all over him for not paying. Dog crap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, For not paying his debt to the the crime lord. Um, So that, but interestingly, you know, and that's where you, I mean, like. I think that that's actually the previous owner of the restaurant, but I'm not 100% sure if that's the case. If that's in the script. But I think that's sort of like he's taken over. 
Okay. So um, I didn't quite get that because it is a shocking image yeah. and it, it's it's violent, but in a, like a degrading kind of way, you know, but at the same time, and you meet this guy and he's like simultaneously like, you know, doing this horrible thing to another human being. And at the same time, he's like, there's a lady present, you know, don't curse and all this like weird stuff because his wife is there. But he's being ironic. Yeah, too. yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know that he... Well, he maybe knows. irony is beyond him, yeah. but he's always being offensive to her. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like yeah. self-awareness <laughs> is not his thing. But the outside area, and, and really there are only like four or five scenes or sets. Locations, so yeah. So the, the first scene is outside in the parking lot, and it's set in like deep blue. Mm-hmm. And then the next, they go from the the parking lot into the kitchen of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And the kitchen is largely in green. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating because, like, you're, it, the indication that they're moving from place to place is the costume of... Um, well, and the whole lighting Georgie. and the whole color yeah. scheme of the location. Yeah. yeah, so Georgie's outfit changes color. It's the same outfit, but it changes color. So it's and this blue is in the parking lot. She says a, this, you know. Yeah, and this is done in a fluid tracking yeah. shot. So what you get is whenever they cross from one part of the restaurant to another, you are tracking along with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a fluid camera yeah. movement. You walk along. You're essentially watching... Watch, you know, 90 degrees Mm. from them or yeah. Uh, Watching them walk into the next location of the kitchen. The camera keeps moving. It's like one of those Hitchcock rope trips. trips I didn't even notice that. Where the camera keeps rolling as the wall, as you pass Mm. through the wall and you rejoin the characters as they're still walking. And her costume now matches the, the green location. Now she's, her dress is green, but it's a continuous sequence. So, and then as they go out of the kitchen, and I'll talk more about the kitchen in a little bit, but I want to talk about the colors of, that are used. So we have blue, green in the kitchen, and then the restaurant is blood red. Like, mm-hmm. like, like red mate, everywhere. Like blood, yeah. like... <laughs> it's like bright red, and and like all the, his henchmen... Um, are wearing like black They're wearing and red. like tuxes with yeah. red sashes, yeah, these big exactly. red sashes. And, and on the wall behind them is that huge <laughs> that wall hanging. Amazing painting, of, yeah. Um, I had to write down what it yeah. was. It's a painting called um, The Banquet of the Officers of the St. George Militia in 1616. Interesting, yeah. But they look like what Albert and his men yeah. basically aspire to be, although it's a bunch of gentlemen seated at a banquet dressed similarly. And, and they're always kind of behind watching, you know, yeah. watching the action of Albert and his men at the table. And then, um, the only other place that we see at the restaurant is the, the women's restrooms, which are white mm-hmm. and completely glow. Yeah. Warm light, white, just white. Yeah. And her dress becomes White when, when she, she crosses through there. And then the only other scene in the whole movie is there's a time at a book depository mm-hmm. and then the colors are brown. And mm-hmm. suddenly that makes sense with, with some other things that are going on. But mm-hmm. those are the colors. The, pretty much the color scheme for the whole movie is blue, green, red, white, and brown. It's it's really... I, I so love it. You when know? I thought about showing this movie to you, I was so excited for each, I really, I was almost just like, can I just show her the camera moving, like following them through the fluidly, through, yeah. you know, with the color schemes changing? Because that was the kind of thing that I was really excited yeah. for you to see. And like in my head, I was like, yes, but the subject matter and the the, <laughs> the, the horrors and stuff like yeah, that. And his... the brutality, you know, is it, can this movie hold that fascination yeah. in its aesthetics and but still be stum- something you could stomach. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. And I think I said this right after we watched the movie. And, like, you wouldn't have had this frame because it didn't exist when you were... Um, when you saw this film for the first time. But we are fans of Yorgos Lathamos, who's the Greek director mm-hmm. who did... And the I haven't lobster. seen... I haven't... I've seen The Lobster. I've seen The Favorite. But I haven't mm-hmm. seen... What's the other one? Is it Dogtooth? Dogtooth. I haven't seen Dogtooth yet, which I, apparently is more similar to to this than, uh-huh. than some of the other things. But um, 
that sort of mix of, you know, comedy and drama and with this sort of like cold deadpan mm-hmm. um, thing that that's something that I mean, like I, I love it in in the Yorgos Lathamas stuff. And so but it is kind of off putting compared to like most of the rest of cinema. So, I mean, mm-hmm. like I had sort of a frame of reference to come at this. I've also seen Titus Andronicus, which is I have to me very seen similar. Titus Andronicus. Yeah. I had not yet seen anything as theatrically mm-hmm. shot as this. Yeah. You know, where I don't think you're invited into this world as if you are actually with real people in a real no, world. No, I yeah. mean, I think, and this was something I latched onto at the time and I wrote papers about yeah. this and all that. Cause I was totally, I was obsessed yeah. with this movie yeah. for a while. I remember I, no. I wrote at least two papers on this yeah. film when I was in film school. And it is the, if you look at the, the staging and the way the action is framed, they're most often, especially in those moments when they're crossing from one passage to another. But a lot of the film is shot as if they're at the distance they would be if you were in a theater audience. Exactly, yeah. And to the extent that it doesn't feel like there is a fourth wall. Yeah. You don't feel like you're in the space. And, And... what I had forgotten about is the movie opens with the red curtains being drawn. Oh, it does. Outside yeah. the, um, in the, the loading dock yeah. area. You know, there's no, so that's like this, it's like welcome to the production and the curtains open and they fall again at the very no, end after the revenge. I hadn't noticed that till you pointed it out, but I do remember watching it like some of the scenes at the table where the camera is just moving down the table and we're far enough away. I mean, you can hear what they're saying, yeah. but I remember thinking like, why aren't we in the middle of the table, you know, watching, like if you compared it to, um, I don't know, um, Gosford Park, where well, there's like scenes where you're looking directly at the people who are having conversations. Because this is a movie that yeah. wants you to be connected to the characters in that yeah. way. This is a movie that doesn't want you to forget that you're watching basically a play or a theatrical mm-hmm. production or a film. In this case, yeah. it is a film because it's it's light and color and cinematography and all of that as well. Well, you know what I find interesting about it is is despite the fact that that is the way that it's framed, I found the the plight of the wife and the love story to be very affecting, you know. I had forgotten that it was affecting as affecting as it is. And so I guess one of the questions I want to ask is, is that, is that in the, is that, do you think, is that in the screenplay what's Mm, written? And or do you think it's something that Helen Mirren and I think his name is Alan Howard who plays her lover, Michael, where does that, I, I actually, they feel like the only true people. Exactly, yeah. And you do care about them. Yeah. And um, do you remember that they don't even speak until about yeah. midway through the movie? Exactly, They've yeah. had all of those, there's all these yeah. wonderful, weird, still life trysts. Yeah. You know, they, they basically meet and um, have sex in various locations yeah. of the of the restaurant with the through the help of um richard the um borst the uh restaurateur yeah the cook yeah um helping them keep their their trysts secret but yeah. there's the where are all the there, there's like the, <laughs> the plucking room yeah you know and there's the well the, the bakery the, breads, the, the bakery, bakery i think that's the first one and then the cheeses yeah and then the place where they keep the pheasants. So for yeah. a while, all we have are their um, erotic, you know, yeah. their their sexual experiences. Yeah. And that's their relationship yeah. that they're keeping a secret and how she escapes like his yeah. Albert every evening. And then there's a moment about halfway through where they talk for the first time. Yeah. And they and then they really become, you know, more characters that you care yeah. about <laughs> well and humanity is there so i mean and like in some senses the i guess the nudity is played for some sense of drama but like at some point it it, it stops being like a shock value thing and it starts being about intimacy mm-hmm. and about her pleasure and you know them enjoying each other mm-hmm. you know and it's I mean, it's it's erotic 
and it's intimate and it's meaningful as as human people and like when you find out as you find out later in the show her more about her treatment from mm-hmm. her husband which is that he savagely abused but he doesn't he doesn't have sex with her he doesn't no. i mean he doesn't even use her in that way like he has no respect for her as a woman as a person as anything he's just she's just another she's almost like yeah, a pet or something yeah exactly that is there for his amusement um so i mean like he you just you get that feeling of how lonely and starved for touch she must have been you know to have someone who appreciated her at first even sexually because she didn't even have that at Mm -hmm. first um sorry my aunt's walking around (laughs) so you 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 found their plight to be something that you you cared about that you were invested in and like i i did a little bit of research to find out if there's any sort of like themes of feminism in Peter Greenaway's work, because I haven't seen any other films that he's made. And I, I found a few articles that suggested that maybe there's this sort of subtle feminism about his work. I don't but think to, my own sense of feminism was yeah. very yeah. awake yet <laughs> yeah. or conscious yet, because I wasn't, I didn't get, I didn't see his movies through that lens. Yeah. In, and, and I haven't seen most of his films in 20 years, unfortunately. Yeah. This is me coming back to this movie and wondering, is this still going <laughs> to, is this still going to well, give me I an mean, electrical so her, charge? Her treatment is terrible and the guy is, ter- but he's like universally terrible to everyone. But like, I think the feminist elements are that she is discovering a part of herself that she had, you know, maybe never realized that could be there. And it's interesting because it started out as a sexual connection, but then it turned into real love. And then there's that really affecting scene um, towards the end where she's asking the cook to tell her what he saw. Like she needs it as an acknowledgement as she needs a witness to even know that it was real. Yeah. This brief moment where she was happy. Yeah, and where she was in love and, and and that he loved her too and she needed the evidence from that cook. The cook had to describe all the things that he, he <laughs> saw. What did you see? Yeah, no. Um, and I just thought that that was really moving and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know if... <laughs> Those are words that I don't yeah. know that are often said about this movie, so I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I, I'm intrigued by your reaction. Um. Yeah, I just I just wondered because and and the truth is is that like if you look at the tradition of sort of revenge dramas and I love the way like I'm reading about this film like people don't know what to call it like on Wikipedia it's a crime drama it is not a crime drama <laughs> um, or a romantic comedy I saw you it's not romantic yeah and it's um, not really a comedy. <laughs> But, you know, we don't really have revenge dramas of this, th- which is a shame because I I'm, I love, to me, like, jealousy and revenge, which are very base emotions. Yeah. I really find them intriguing when people explore them in, you know, I know people are more into the, like, more, I don't know, less, less base, less sort of. Now, disgusting human emotions, but I love to watch dramas and stuff where they explore that sort of, you know. Did you know where this was going and what her revenge was going to be? Or was there, do you remember there being a moment where you're like, oh my God, I know what she's going to do? Um, or did it, or was it the scene where it just happens and how did that, how did you experience this? Well, I mean, like, I guess at that point, at, knowing how brutal everything that started out, it didn't mm. surprise me all that mm-hmm. much. And again, having seen, like, so, you know, maybe we won't spoil this film, but I can spoil t- Titus Andronicus. I, I think we can spoil this movie. So, so essentially, Titus Andronicus is a trading off of revenge. So the essentially queen of, of the area, her son is killed during war by... Mm-hmm. Um, not by Titus, but but during a war thing. So in order to get revenge, her two sons essentially like rape and mutilate his mm-hmm. oldest daughter. Oh, that's um, right. So he, in revenge for that, 
um, kills the two sons, cooks them in a pie and feeds them to the Mm -hmm. queen and then tells her and then, you know, everybody ends up dead Mm because it's a tragedy. Um, (laughs) um, So, I mean, like in that context, this is actually, you know, a little bit mild compared to that. I mean, like you still have the shocking the theme. The themes are similar. Shocking deaths, you know, violence against you know, children, pretty much everyone, really. You know, what I love and what I had forgotten about, because of course I remembered the ending of this film, like what the revenge is. I had forgotten that when Albert finds out about them, that he just sits there screaming at a table with clutching a knife and fork saying, I will find him, I will cook him, and I will eat him. him. Over and over screaming that. Then you remember that at the end. Yes. Well, that's, you know, that's how it goes. But um, I also, I guess I also want to talk about um, the formalism, I, I guess, or I don't know quite what the, what the word is, but like, I think that's, yeah. I, when we enter the, the kitchen for the first mm-hmm. time, we see the business of the kitchen going on and there's a boy soprano uh-huh. with blonde hair. Do we know his name? Pup, Pup. I, I think. Pup is the dishwasher. The bo- and he is singing. Uh-huh. You know, and they have... He's singing a work by yeah. Michael Nyman, the composer. And in the background they have... I mean, it's not just him singing, because sometimes the background music will fade mm-hmm. out, but it, he's supported by, you know, a full choral, it's a choral accompaniment uh-huh. um, with We're piano and orchestra. live and, as the dishwasher. Yeah. I mean, as he's washing <laughs> the dishes. So, I mean, that kind of serves as um, as an introduction to sort of the the sort of painting like uh-huh. and there's a lot of things that are and the similar opera to of it. Yeah, yeah, That's exactly. It's an operatic thing to do that. Exactly. Yeah, the drama of opera. I, I looked back and I saw that Greenaway had written some opera too. Interesting. So, I think he he's like an artist artist. Mm-hmm. Well, he did he also did some work video artwork where they mm-hmm. use humans to recreate like f- famous um uh, paintings of some sort. And you see that sort of painting, like, well, there's the big mural on the wall, of course. The kitchen is just like one big, like, so the medieval looking, you know, well, with the, copper pots. and. Well, the kitchen, it's like you go back in time. <laughs> yeah. But it's not just that you go back in time. It's not just that you're actually in a different time mm-hmm. or something. But the all the people working in the kitchen... Mm. look like they're from some Flemish painting or something like that. They look like they're all from Vermeer or Rembrandt or something like that. That, That's the way they're lit, the way they're dressed. They look like peasants or or something from another era. Everything has that painterly composition and that stark lighting. So well, you I can mean, tell this is a movie by somebody who trained as a painter. It's interesting as things um, like as we get to the part where someone else has discovered somebody like the girlfriend of one of the henchmen finds out about the the relationship and things start to sort of start to um, speed up yeah. at that point. Um, so when like when they're sort of like rushing towards that interaction that's going to reveal the uh-huh. rela- the the illicit relationship to the husband, um, there's like this big tracking shot where you're going through the dining room, ostensibly sort of following, but you pass all these like beautiful displays of like dead birds and flowers Mm -hmm. and fruit. And Mm -hmm. it does look like there's like six Flemish paintings in a row, Mm -hmm. but they're like real with like real birds and real dead turkeys and, you know, you know, real Mm -hmm. flowers and stuff like that. Um, and like all set against this like red velveteen thing, you know, so they, it's interesting because like that's kind of been in the background thing, but Uh they have that scene where it's all like in the forefront, Uh you know, piles of dead birds, piles of dead birds. Yeah. And, um, the chronology or the time, the actual time structure of the movie is broken up by each day Mm. where you have, where it's that scene has the day's menu, right? So it'll say Thursday and it'll have the menu and still life's arranged around it. Do you remember there's like chicken and pheasant and, and Mm. vegetables and stuff arranged on that shot of the the menu for each night. So every scene is Thursday Friday and the, the day's menu and all so that. So this seems to happen over the course of like about a, a week. week and a half week or something and a half. like I guess that. We, yeah. I'm not sure how long 
we don't know how much time passes when we get to the lovers hiding at the book depository. Yeah. I still think it's only a day or so. Yeah, yeah. They have, I think, two dinners brought to them mm. or maybe a dinner and a breakfast or something like that. Yeah. I so, think they have a dinner, the torture of the boy. Yeah. And then Richard the cook brings them the meal the next night. Well, I think that's interesting when, when that happens, mm. that sort of, you know, up until then, like, he's had this full support of these henchmen and all these things that he's done, but he's not, I mean, he's been, he's been violent. He's been gross, but he hasn't. His sense of humor is scatological. Yeah. He hasn't hurt anyone in a sort of stabby kind of way, I guess is the, is the thing. Well, and then you get the fork in the cheek to the woman. Yeah. So as soon as it starts involving Georgie in the, in it's that, around when he that, finds out about the, yeah that's his that's his thing that makes him go from just a genuine blowhard douchebag mm-hmm. to a violent murderous maniac, maniac uh-huh. Uh-huh. kind of person so like there's the scene where pup brings them the food and they're he's trying to find georgie mm-hmm. and um uh you know Pup comes back and they get him and, you know, I think they, they feed him his buttons and then, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And they don't show anything, but um, there's this, there's a scene where like the henchmen, you know, in, in what they're doing, you know, it, it makes the henchmen physically ill. And they scream at him to stop. Yeah, to stop, which is like, you know... Up until then, the only people who had told him to stop were the cook and his wife. Were mm-hmm. the only people who told him to, to hold off on, on any of the things that he's been doing. You know, so, so there is definitely like an escalation so that, for him. Yeah, and that scene is a turning point. Yeah. for me too, mm-hmm. where you're also where he does read as basically an asshole most of the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, right. Just a loud, shouting, blowhard, ignorant horrible Mm. brutal abuse like verbally abusive also physically abusive because he's punched and kicked Mm. and like you know throttled georgina all along yeah the evening often ends with him dragging her to the car and beating her up in the car or something like that yeah but that moment where he tortures pup yeah is kind of like the film taking like it it switches tone i mean Mm. it becomes more like oh am i ready for the rest of this yeah yeah exactly um yeah I was kind of wondering, I had totally forgotten about that. And mm-hmm. as we were watching it, I, was, I just was wondering, is this a point where somebody might check out of the movie and be yeah. like, I don't want to go with this anymore? Yeah, well, I think that um, luckily, I mean, like there there are directors who would have shown more, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> I mean, like and in, in movies that, that people you know, that more people would have seen than this, that they would have shown more. And, um, I'm, I'm glad that, that they chose not to go that, that route. Cause, cause that level, I mean, like, like the game of Thrones stuff, like that yeah. was too much, you yeah. know, yeah. this at least was, was blessedly brief and didn't show anything in detail, you know, just the suggestion of it was And God enough. bless Greenaway. Yeah. He showed that the boy was okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He there did. was, there, there was a scene, another strange Flemish painting scene mm-hmm. in the hospital with the shadows of the, of nuns, the, of the yeah. nuns and their, their nurses, nun Mm-hmm. with the shadows all fluttering along the wall and everything yeah. like that. But again, it looks like it's from another Well, era. it's interesting. It's, he was it's, okay. It's oddly timeless, the whole film, although... That's why you said, I think it takes place in London. I'm like, I don't think it takes place anywhere specific. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it probably would be London, but it doesn't. it's not an I mean, actual real-world really, thing. I mean, like, except for the car, there's a mm-hmm. car, there and the trucks, and the bathroom, which is a very 80s-looking kind of bathroom, mm-hmm. The rest of it, I mean, like, could have been taken. I mean, like, the restaurant actually looks to me like a turn-of-the-century French restaurant to me. You know, like, um, like in, I don't know, the movie Gigi or something like that. I, although yeah. that's not turn-of-the-century. But there's a <laughs> restaurant that looks like that in the movie Gigi. Um, I think there's I, also- at some point, you looked at me and said, <laughs> that would be awful to have to eat at this restaurant every, every night. Every night at You're the like, same it doesn't restaurant. Even, I wouldn't even want to eat at that restaurant. I mean, it just, like, it's kind of a weird style. and Well, and that's what I was looking, because the bookseller eats there every night as well. And I just kept thinking, like, 
how much money is he making as a bookseller that he can afford to eat out at this like fabulous French restaurant every night? <laughs> Cause it doesn't, it doesn't look like a, yeah. you know, it's not the kind of restaurant where you can spend 20 bucks. It's like, it's like an 80 bucks or, or, you know, yeah. per, per, per table or something like that. So, um, but he always wears brown, which is, he does. that's the significance and his color, his, his clothes never change color. And then when we end up in the book depository, we discover why, because it's all well, warm browns. I, it's and, weird. I started to, yeah. I started to <laughs> fall into various people's uh, reviews and mm. essays and considerations of the movie. I just looked at a few yeah. when this afternoon and um, somebody was, uh, everybody wants, this, one yeah. of the fun things about this movie is trying <laughs> to unpack and decode yeah. the formalism. Like the color scheme. Yeah. And so one person was saying, well, the the um, the people whose costumes change, like mm. Georgina, are are the people who are in transition in, mm. in the and, and who actually you know what I mean? And the people who are doomed are, are in the are in um, static colored like Michael is always wearing brown. Yeah. And um I don't know if that holds water or what I don't that think actually that means. Does. But it's but you do want to like figure out what what is the what does the color scheme mean yeah well i mean what ultimately what they were arguing as is in that essay was that the film tells the story of her rise and revolution Mm -hmm. and exactly and so i don't know this it's part of what marks this passage remember what she's wearing in the last scene well she's wearing black with some kind of strange veil sort of thing she's like a a angel of death or something like that she's like or a force of vengeance (laughs) she's in this she's in a funereal clothes or something like that do you remember and alex kingston young alex kingston is Mm. in the back holding the you know walking with her holding the train of her outfit that's right um (laughs) But the doors burst open, then they all come marching in yeah. everybody that Albert has ever wronged. Yeah, in a row with, you know, pushing in the 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 meal yeah. for the evening. So well, it's it's interesting because the only people that stand up to him until the very end, you know, are the cook who mm-hmm. like never oddly never takes crap for him him he like lets it roll off his back and he's never really at any risk no, like no. we never really fear for the cook he no. somehow is in a position of strength mm-hmm. or equality yeah and and what well, i think is interesting cuz he does this uh, i mean like he arranges for this affair to happen so it's like his only way that he can kind of like stick it to the Mm-hmm. Stick it to this guy who's just awful to everyone, you know, essentially. And like, it's funny watching. He's the, aiding the revolution. Yeah, watching the days <laughs> go by, like there are less and less people in the <clears throat> restaurant, like less and less people want to dine with this guy. Because who's of like all the crazy screaming shit going and, down every yeah, night. And bathroom humor that he's yelling. Screaming bathroom humor, yeah. abusing people openly at the table, yeah. slapping them, kicking them over mm-hmm. in their chairs, uh, all of that. Yeah. For his interactions with Michael, the lover, are yeah. is him walking by and basically grabbing Drawing the books, books out of his hands yeah. and tossing them across the room just yeah. to be a dick, just yeah. to be an asshole. Yeah. Before he even has any suspicion that there's any, mm-hmm. it just really, really fucking irritates him that the guy is reading yeah. in, in a perceived social situation. Well, in and a that restaurant. he's he's confident enough to dine by himself because I think that there's this sort of like insecurity fundamental in in this guy's personality. You know, in that, like, the very first scene, his wife is away to the bathroom too long, and he follows her in there. I mean, like, that's a level of insecurity and... And control. Control that... um, Well, and I think that that control derives from a level of insecurity in, in, you know, your things. Well, he won't won't let her smoke. Mm -hmm. He wants to know every detail about has she wiped, has she washed her hands? I mean, there's just a level of weird control Mm. that should just not be there. (laughs) So, I mean, like, yeah, just, I don't know. So, I mean, that, it's it's funny because he doesn't do it subtly. You know, sometimes you're watching a movie, and I can't think of an example. Maybe um, uh, Waitress? No, 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 Waitress. Um, what movie? Carrie Russell? That's Waitress. It is Waitress, yeah. yeah. And, like, her ex-husband has that yeah. sort of, you know, and it's 
it's ostensibly a comedy, it's light, but there's this like sort of subtle controlling thing that like has that, you know, sort of sparks the <clears throat> ends of your nerve endings or something yeah. like that. But this guy doesn't have any of that subtlety. It's just like full on out terribleness, you know, so... I don't know. And played by Michael Gabon. Michael Gammon, the <laughs> wonderful, wonderful <laughs> British actor of many films. Yeah. Who, of course, also was Dumbledore. Yes. And here you get to see him as a vile, disgusting, one of the most horrible characters yeah. you will ever see on yeah, film. Yeah, pretty terrible. Um, in fact, the soundtrack of the film is largely, for about an hour of the film, him shouting mm-hmm. obscenities, scatological humor, verbally abusing everybody. To the point where you, when you don't hear his voice finally, or mm-hmm. where there's a quiet moment, such as one of Georgina and Michael's trysts, it's such mm-hmm. a relief yeah. and a release to not have him breathing down your neck and shout that yeah. nasal, cockney, loud, ignorant yeah. voice. And I don't mean ignorant because of any sort of class thing, but just ignorant. Yeah. He's... Um... I I thought he, well, I mean, like, there's not a lot to explore there. He's just at face value what he is, a horrible person. But, like, I think it's the the weird juxtaposition in the things that he says, which is, like, he understands high-class living, or so, maybe he doesn't understand it, but he... he he's a poser. He's a he, where He wants to be... Yeah. Uh, perceived as a gourmet and why would he buy this restaurant yeah what is the point of buying this restaurant and going there every night he's trying to appear to be something he's not and that but he doesn't make any effort to try to and i think that that's his problem with the book guy is initially is just that he he has an inferiority complex he fits in there he you know he does. Albert yeah. doesn't fit in there. Yeah. He will never fit in there. He can own the place. He can change the silverware yeah. with crappy, fallen off a truck silverware. <laughs> silverware yeah. Um, he can bring in his what he thinks is a really classy sign is that awful neon yeah. thing he wants to hang everywhere. Yeah. I mean, he will never fit in in that restaurant, but he wants to. Mm-hmm. He wants to be something that he's not. Yeah. It's kind of this nouveau riche sort of weird. Exactly. Thing. Well, he wants. The world to change for him, mm-hmm. and the world is not changing for him. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's. I, I try not to, because like it's not meant to be political, but it's hard not to well, see the ties. I, you in. may not be right yeah. there. Yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I just say that because there's another whole line, and I don't know how much yeah. Greenaway has. Um, has actually confirmed, but there's a whole other line of inquiry beyond the people who are mm. like kind of decoding the formalism and what does this and that mean and symbolize. A lot of people have read this to be an allegory or a metaphor for Thatcherite England uh, okay. with Albert as like the Tory party or Margaret yeah. Thatcher or something like that. Yeah. And then it brings this whole other way of unpeeling the onion to, to look at this as, as well, a revolution of the worker yeah. or, or of the oppressed against, exactly. a, against an unjust, barbaric cannibalistic sort of government yeah and so there are lots of political readings well, about this is, and i, I don't mean, know if how much is in the intention i think some of it that probably is in the intention this is late 80s in britain yeah. well i mean like there's so much of the sort of demagoguery of mm-hmm. like everything is the way i say it is and if it isn't the way i say it is then it doesn't matter you know who did this <laughs> remind you of again <laughs> um you know, which, you know, unfortunately, I mean, like, and to me, it's interesting that, because I like connections in, in things, I like finding the connections yeah. in things, is that that there is a similar theme. I mean, and because throughout history, humans are, there are certain types of humans, and the demagogue is definitely something that has existed in our world longer than 2000. Yeah. You know, whatever. Um, But it's interesting to see that writ large in a real way because, I don't know, it's it seems so base that you don't think that it's something that fits in in our modern world, Uh but it still exists in our modern world. And and when we turn a blind eye to that, then it it becomes dangerous, you know, so like. 
you know, I don't, I don't know the, the right answer. Like, you know, I like the subtle revolution of the cook, but you know, it wasn't enough to stop it. It took someone. Mm-hmm. And some people yeah. they look at Michael, the bookseller and go, yeah. this is the ineffectual intellectual. Yeah, exactly. Right. You yeah. can't actually bring about change. No. Or... no, but I mean, like, interestingly, in a sense, he inspired the revolution that came, you know, the, the, you know what the book that killed Michael was? Yes, the, the French, French Revolution. The French Revolution. <laughs> so um, there's something going on there. And yeah. I don't know how, if it's like, I don't know that it's supposed to be this equals that, you yeah. know, or if it's more like, it's here if you want to look for it. This is yeah. a story about the oppressed getting their, getting the upper yeah. hand. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's hard not to, in such political times, which are like all times are political, but like... When when things when you feel like things are really going wrong, then you start to notice this sort of political messaging and everything. That, so we just saw a Jim Jarmusch movie yesterday, yeah. which was about zombies, which to me, like initially, not not ultimately, but initially had sort of a political message similar to the yeah. the, you know, you know, you can like let things go and there will be. You know, there will be people around the demagogue who want to be just like him, like that, yeah. that terrible there. That that was the only other sort of interesting hitchman, which was the guy that was like trying to copy, mm-hmm. copy all the moves of Tim Roth. I think Tim so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That kind of creepy looking side. Uh, Mitchell. Mitchell. Time, Tim Roth. You know, and and the one with the prairie oyster. Yes, exactly. The prairie oyster. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, who keeps getting beat down by yeah. him, but, you know, is. You know that he's if if he anything is an Albert he's, in training. he's gonna he's, step up. He would you know? be the next one. Yeah, probably. he would be the next one. And then the other people who just sort of are going along because the hangers on and yeah. the henchmen and the and the you know along for the ride. And then you know there's all the workers who are you know just doing their job. We have to go around and do our thing. You know this is this is how we make a living. You know I also think that's interesting because like at the very beginning of the movie these trucks show up that have a bunch of stolen food in it uh-huh. that he's going to give to the restaurant. And the restaurant guy is like, no, I'm not using... I'm not taking the fish off of a truck yeah. that you drive up. Yeah. So he was like, I source my own food, which like, you know, good for him for the uh, sourcing your own organic I like how the movie fam. doesn't forget about the trucks, <laughs> but that they're out there festering yeah. for the entire week until yeah. you have uh, the police arriving mm-hmm. trying to figure out what the source yeah. of the stench is yeah. in the neighborhood. <laughs> and then yeah. it becoming that. Another wonderful, grotesque, disgusting, yeah. <laughs> but great scene is is Michael and uh, um, Georgina having to escape for their lives yeah. completely naked yeah. in the back of the rotting truck of meat. Disgusting. Yeah. It great. was interesting to me because it has, that had like very biblical overtones to uh, me, like Adam and like the lighting oh, yeah. And, yeah. and like sort of the Adam and Eve. Back to nature. The cast, first, yeah, cast from, cast from the, the garden. garden. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. Oh my God. Kind so of things. Much here. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I, um, you might, um, read some of the blogs and yeah. essays and things that were written. At <laughs> well, I tried point, not really to, cause I didn't want it to yeah. impact my, my reaction to it. And, oh, and I guess before we, we finish, I, I want to mention the costumes, which are by, especially, um, Georgie's costumes, Gautier, aren't they? John Paul Gautier, yeah. um, amazing, beautiful corsetry, uh-huh. beautiful, um, I was, Perf- Hats or feathered hats, hats sort that of things. That she wore too, yeah. Um, but like, it seems like as the film progresses, her her dresses get more and more ornate. Um, yeah. And they're they're absolutely gorgeous throughout the I whole thing. I think she's in funeral mourning for Michael yeah. at the end. I yeah, think yeah. that's what that is built into her revenge yeah. dress. Yeah, but it's um, it's really interesting. It's like got this open. It's it's a corset and yeah. it's got like this open weaving and the even the train I is guess like Gautier open. I got to design all the interesting lingerie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shortcut lingerie, yeah. you know, to make <laughs> things go faster. There's a beautiful lingerie as well. So I want to um, just mention again the role of the music mm-hmm. in the movie because it, when you're looking at the formalism that we started off talking about the passage from one location to another, it's also marked by the music yeah. throughout. And you only have two or th- pr- mainly two different themes, but there's this, that wonderful, like that March, that relentless yeah. March um, by Michael Nyman 
that is is usually the 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 music of them moving into the restaurant mm. it's the, when they to the extent though that the music changes with each passage too yeah. so when you move from the um the outside uh um, loading dock area mm. and go into the kitchen. The kitchen is always associated with the soprano and the boys singing yeah. and that kind of so- quiet choral work. But it f- um, seamlessly turns into the Michael Nyman March Memorial. Mm. It was a it was a, a, a composition that he had written that not for this film, mm. but that Peter Peter Greenaway wanted to use for the movie. And then he ended up using the entire 12 or 13 minutes of it for the last revenge scene and going into the credits, but it's just perfect for this movie. And it's what I've always, I always associate when I close my eyes and picture scenes from this movie, I always hear that music. Um, Michael Nyman went on to do the piano and he went on, he has worked with Greenaway over and over again. Mm. I think from before this film, um, what another piece that's often, I think it's the sort of, um, quieter love theme mm. um, for it's Michael and um, Georgina's Trist music yeah. is a piece that was from an earlier film by Greenaway and Nyman um, drowning by numbers. So he always works with Michael Nyman and he's one like that kind of association. Like you always have um, Sergio Leone who always works yeah. with, the, who always works with Ennio Morricone, the, the composer and Fellini always worked with Nino Rota. Uh, uh, Greenaway always works and- with, and Burton always works with Elfman. It's true. <laughs> if we want to take it. <laughs> that they they went on. I think the film that they did immediately after the Cook the Thief was Prospero's books, mm. which took the Tempest by Shakespeare as its mm. source material. It cast John Gielgud as Prospero. It told the story in a completely different way, mm. and it had a lot of that sort of digital art that you were talking about yeah. um, with Greenaway experimenting with HD digital composition and stuff. Mm. Um, but it was more of an opera. Uh-huh. It actually had extended scenes of choral works where the where the singing is actually you're seeing the characters singing on screen and you've got the weird narration and uh, Prospero sc- scratching with his yeah. fountain pens <laughs> in his book and conjuring up the images that you see on the screen. It's quite amazing. Interesting. But it's a it was another collaboration that I was very interested at the time. The I think I had some of the CDs because yeah. I was like I, I just there's something about this that I don't know. Good it was stuff. fascinating. Yeah, I, 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 I appreciate it. I mean, like, I, th- I think it just worked on on multiple levels for me. I don't think it's for everyone. I don't think that everybody has the. Com- and it's it's interesting. I'm I'm trying to think of why this worked for me and that naked didn't. And I think it was the agency in the female character versus. Well, this is a the film. lack of it in Naked, you know, maybe. This is a film that acknowledges the abuse of mm. the female, allows her to be a human, and then gives her agency yeah. to change the situation. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that that was the difference. I mean, yeah. I think, I, I, I don't know. Well, they're but not I just, the same film at all. They are from the same period. Yeah. It's it's interesting to see that because like there's a lot of comparisons you could make between the two lead characters. I think uh-huh. you know. I mean, I I think the guy in Naked is a lot more complex, and yeah. there's a lot more there. Well, they're you know? going for more of a psychological realism and a three dimensional yeah. character yeah. with everybody in that movie. Yeah, where I Although mean, like I really, the yeah. only I mean, and really. I mean, like, if you're going to talk about the two characters that have the most, and and it's funny because the cook says very little, but he is a more realized character and she is a more realized character than almost anyone else in the Mm -hmm. entire film. You know, even the person who talks the most, Mm -hmm. you know, incessantly, we don't know as much about him, you know, and we only learn more about him through... The stories yeah, the, that other people that tell. That other people tell, yeah. And his so. effect on the other people mm-hmm. in the film. Exactly. So it's fascinating, interesting. And we stuff. don't ever really understand exactly the other some I think Michael asked her how she ended up with him. Mm-hmm. Why are you even with him? And she doesn't really answer, does no, she? No, but she tells some of the stories about how yeah. horrible it is to be with him and how trapped she is and yeah. she's made several attempts to get away. Yeah. And always ends up with him. Yeah. So whatever it is, a revenge play, an allegory, a political metaphor, 
um, just complete formal play. Yeah. I don't think we mentioned, but Peter Greenaway trained first in art school as a painter. He he, um, studied mural painting. He was a muralist for three years or something in school. And then, um, you know, this would have been the 60s. So he was also intrigued by film at the time you know european yeah. art film at the time which was <laughs> ingmar bergman they mentioned as his yeah his um inspiration um bergman and uh the films of the french new wave and like godard but i think even more and i think i've seen him talk about it more alan renee who made hiroshima mon amour yeah and um last year at marienbad and it'd be interesting to go look at last year at marienbad because that has a lot of the fluid tracking shots and and where it's about the architecture and Mm. the photography of the space and the time sense doesn't really work. I mean, it's not like, (laughs) it's not a literal film. It is a film with some kind of narrative about these former lovers who either do or don't recognize each other. And there did, there was a tryst or there wasn't a tryst or one person's making it up or not. Like you don't really know what actually the story is because it's more about the psychological, the formal space of them being in these cathedrals and the black and white photography mm-hmm. and the way that the music um, moves with the camera and stuff like that. I can see that as an influence. Well, it's, I must be, I mean, I think it takes a gift. And like, if he's inspired by Bergman, so the first Bergman I saw was Seven Seal. Seal. Um. We, had this, we had this conversation <laughs> on this show before. Yeah. Um, so... You know, if if that's the only Bergman you've ever seen, then then you would see the formalism at work in the Bergman. You could see that mirrored in the cook, the cook, the thing mm-hmm. the wife is love. Yeah. Um, but well, that's what, an allegory. If you if you get if you see more Bergman, you see that he is also skilled at sort of the more human sense mm-hmm. of things. Um, you know, when we saw uh, Franny, Franny, Franny and Alexander, Alexander, yeah you get more of that sort of intimate, that intimate thing. So like to balance that in one film is pretty incredible. I mean, and like, I mean, like from a, from a, I don't know, painting type thing, Mm -hmm. like it's the difference between um, maybe like pre-Renaissance paintings where like everything is flat Mm -hmm. And then you get to the Renaissance and then there's paintings that are filled with light and humanity and shape and form and and curve and emotion, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that it's interesting because in those scenes where, where Georgie and, what is the lover's name? Michael. Michael are together that you get that sort of three-dimensional feeling mm-hmm. that you get in those Renaissance paintings, that it comes through in the way that it's shot, but also in the interactions between the, you know, that there's more mm-hmm. emotion. I don't know. Anyway, I think it's interesting that they're able to do both. Well, I think that this is, in that way, this is Greenaway's most successful film balancing yeah. that. Yeah. Because I now, actually, to hear you say you fucking love this movie yeah. was like, okay, good, because I want to show you some of his other work mm. at some point. But I think that this is maybe one of the only ones mm. that actually does that balance where mm. you actually feel there are humans with emotions yeah. in it. And and I think the other films, the balance comes out way more the other way mm. where you just know that he's more interested in the formal game. Yeah. The puzzle, the game, the scheme, whatever the, 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 the shtick is of that movie. Yeah. One of the other films that's really worth seeing and it has Joan Plowright, you know, Lawrence Olivier's wife is drowning by numbers. Well, every scene or shot of the mm. film, it has the numbers from one to 99 somewhere in the shot. Mm. And so part of the game of watching the film is trying to see the numbers. Interesting. But so sometimes the game, the, the, the experiment, the, the constraint that it's putting on yeah. is more, is more important than the story. It's usually more important than the story. Well, and that's that's like something they they teach you about exploring your creativity is put mm-hmm. some parameters on on whatever you're creating and yeah. then try to work within those. And that's an exercise in um, expanding your creativity and seeing what you can do within these particular set of constraints, which 
is interesting. But yeah, it's sometimes, I, especially in a media that can be so human as film. Well, it reminds you know. me of how we were taking photos yeah. yesterday and you said, this week I'm only allowing myself to take photos in black and white with yeah. the mono filter on my yeah. phone because it's the constraint I'm putting on myself. Yeah. Sometimes the constraint that Peter Greenaway <laughs> puts on himself is it's going to have every number from yeah. 0 to 99 <laughs> in the shot, you know? Well, you know, it's and it's interesting to see how that inspires people, because I, I think that um, there's a similar what is the Dante? What's his name? The pie guy. Um, Dante's not Dante's throwing me off. Are you talking about um, Aronofsky? Aronofsky. Darren yeah. Aronofsky. Darren. Darren. Okay. Sorry, not Dante. Okay. <laughs> I, I finally got what movie you were going for, and yeah. then I was able to access Well, the, I think that, that Pi was that in a way. That, I think that yeah. was his first film. Um, I never really got into Aronofsky all that much. Black Swan was pretty good, but... Um, Pi was one of the ones I actually liked more than... Yeah, yeah, you know, it was good. Pi and Black Swan, I yeah. think, are my favorites. Yeah, well, the, the other one was... Uh, actually, um, what is that one called? Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream. It's a great has, film. Has some, has some things in common yeah. with... Um, Transgressive with this, with film. This, yeah, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I can see how he might have been inspired a little bit by... So now that you're so interested in architecture, mm-hmm. I really want you to see Greenaway's movie, The Belly of an Architecture, which takes place all against the backdrop of, the, of Rome. It's oh, an okay. architect, an American yeah. architect in Rome. Um, who thinks who ha- thinks he's dying or something like mm. that? It's played by Brian Dennehy, who was mostly a character actor yeah. in, in the you know seventies and eighties, nineties. But um, it's just staggering scenes. That if you picture now him taking his palette and the way he frames things and his love of of you know that the the image and mm. composition, and now you know he's setting scenes in front of the Pantheon at night with you know orange light on the pan- yeah. you know it's just. Amazing. So we have to look at that sometime. Yeah. Okay, well, this was a good experiment, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I well, think... it says I study studying on formalism in architecture, so, you know. So I think, again, you've probably, if you have not seen the film and you've stuck with this show the whole time, you can probably tell by now whether this is something you actually want to see or yeah. if you're just going to be content with listening to us yeah. talk about it. <laughs> it is not for everyone's taste. There should be a considerable number of trigger warnings on it. Yeah. I mean, it is very scatological. It, it, it has some torture in it. unrated at the time, it, yeah. It was released unrated. They were given the option of releasing with uh, either unrated or NC-17. No, X. It was before X. NC-17. It, would have been, it was before NC-17. It would have gotten an X rating, so they released it un- unrated. Yeah. Um, I think our just, everything has changed so much now that we have shows like Game of Thrones on. So yeah. I, I think a lot of that is more extreme than you would have seen in any cinema at the time, yeah. even with an unrated, no rating. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, and, well, and it, cannibalism does figure into this as out, well. So, so. It, whereas, you know, Game of Thrones is going for the shock factor. I think this one is not, I mean, it's, sh- it's directly pulling on taboos. Which is, you know, a thing. <laughs> you know. I wanted to, I don't know, maybe this isn't even the yeah. time anymore, but I, I, found, I have this book on the movie, mm. and in his introduction to it, he says, um, in writing the script of this film, the model is classic revenge tragedy out of the theater of blood with its obsession for human corporeality, eating, drinking, defecating, copulating, belching, vomiting, nakedness, and blood. More particularly, the model is satirical English Jacobian theater, which was invariably erotic and certainly violent. He goes on and on, but that's sort of yeah. what he's after, and we've got that, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so. But, but somehow he is able to, out of that, pull a human's a I human think, moment or two, you know, and it's in in comparison to what else is going around, it's to me deeply affecting. So I can see this movie, but yeah. I've always been I've never been able or willing to consider seeing a movie like Salo about based on the Marquis de Sade mm. uh, work, which is yeah. another kind of notorious yeah. unrated or X rated um Hmm, I've not heard of it. Yeah, I just... Well, I was... From what I've read and heard about it, I, I know our the good people at Film Spotting um, did a watch of that at mm. some point about 10 years ago or whatever. Um, and I'm just... I don't think I can go there. Well, it, it immediately movie, brought to mind another one that I haven't seen, which yeah. is Delicatessen, which is yeah. involves cannibalism, I take it. It is. Although uh, that one apparently is a romantic comedy. 
That one actually does feel more like a romantic comedy. I think you can argue that yeah. it's romantic comedy. Um, I always liked well, Delicatessen. Well, and interestingly, John Paul Gartier, I just looked this up, he did his uh, several films that he's done included the film that they did after Delicatessen. Um, uh, he did the costume for that. Um, Amelie? No, no, no. The what did one- he do after Delicatessen? I can't remember. It's fine. It's fine. We'll look it up later. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. I won't put it in the show notes. I'm lying. Yeah. Um, this is our longest show ever, so yeah. we better call it a day. I'm glad we got to have this conversation. Yeah. This is, in a way, was the conversation I've been waiting 20 years to okay. have or something. It's, <laughs> I've had conversations like this about this film, but never in this amount of detail, never with the captive audience. Yeah. Um, where we had to do it and record it, and it's uh, for us as well as for you, I hope. Yeah. So we will be back in about two weeks with Ashley's pick. I don't know what I'm picking yet. Um, we can see if it's hands on, hands on a hardy, hard no, body I, watch I, 2019. I've come to the conclusion that this movie has been <laughs> lost or destroyed. It's it's still we're still second in line for the copy that's at the Austin Public Library. Someone uh, has turned someone this into has a not Netflix. It. It's gone rogue. <laughs> Original They've Netflix. kept it. They destroyed it or whatever. So um, we'll see. I, it may be the time. We do this occasionally. Um, watch a longer film. It may be time for him finally to see the BBC Pride and Prejudice. Okay. It might be time for that. We'll okay. see. Okay. I'm not sure what I thought you were going to say. The Decalogue or something, but there I've you not go. seen the I know, Decalogue. I know, You've seen the Decalogue. No, I have seen, seen, seen the end of one I've of seen the Decalogue. The I've yes. seen about five of the Decalogue. <laughs> I have still, I've been working my way through the Decalogue for years. I still haven't seen all of it. It's fantastic, but okay. Anyway. Um, so come back, watch for our next show in about two weeks. You can find us on Facebook. Shut up. Watch this. Search us up on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about it. Leave us a review. It helps other people find mm-hmm. us. And um, we're so glad that we get to do the show and talk about movies. Not only that one of us at least hasn't seen, but uh, I think I hope a lot of the time we're choosing sort of sleeper movies, forgotten movies, somewhat more obscure movies, at least to a lot of you out there. And I hope if it makes you want to see them then um, that's another good thing I hope we're doing. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thanks and goodbye. Bye.